Let's get to, to this. I'm excited about today. I really am. I'm excited. I've been waiting to preach this for a long time, what we're going to preach about today. It's actually, as we're, we're, we're doing a series, if you're visiting with us, we're doing a series right now through at least part of the summer called um, By Popular Demand. And what I mean by that is not, not that I'm a DJ and people call in the Portview radio station and say, I want you to preach on this. Um, more along the lines of this. As the pastor of this church and as a pastor now for like 24 years, um, there are repetitive questions that are always asked to me. Repetitive themes. And especially as culture change, different things rise up because we try, to inter- we, try to, we try to balance out what's God say and what's our culture doing and how do we relate to it. And so we have, so we have things that, that you think you're unusual and that you say, Pastor, I've got a question for you. And you feel dumb sometimes asking it. And I'll go, I don't feel dumb. You're the 17th person who've asked me the same question. And I've been asking myself that question. And I've been trying to dig through God's word and pray and seek his direction. And this is what I think the answer is. And so those are the, the things that are most commonly asked is what our series is about. And, and the reason I wanted to start this whole ser- sermon series was because of this message today. And it's something that's not so much a question as I see that it's a misunderstanding that we have. And, and I'm going to go into some things today that, that I'm going to walk on some thin ice. So look, up front, will you tell me you love me? You love me? Okay. Thank you. Because I'm going to walk on some thin ice today and it's going to challenge you. And I want to tell you, the message that I'm going to talk about today, Pastor Pete is partially responsible for messing with me about three years ago at a prayer retreat. I'm going to end the very last thing with a quote from a guy that you gave us at a prayer retreat. And it was something I've been thinking about anyways, but something began about three years ago saying, God, I, I've got to work on this one thing, of figuring it out. And, and, and so, God, I, I've got to work on this. And, and this is three years, at least, probably really 30 years, but three last three years of being kind of the main thing that I've been thinking of. And it's because I see... An understanding that I've held in the past, I'm talking many years ago, but I see the church world hold and I see the non-church world hold about God that is kind of a twisted view of God. And I want to untwist that today. I want to try to say it. I'm going to tell you this. As it untwists in your heart, remember, I'm going to throw something out to you and I've been working on this untwisting for years and years and years. So what happens a lot of times is I throw something out. I'm processing it forever. And you hear for the first time and you go, ah! You know, that's the heresy. I want you to understand, I'm not a heretic, right? Josh, am I a heretic? Oh, thank you. See, he lives in my house. And he knows I'm not a heretic. And so, I, want you to just, I just want you to go through this process today, and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about this topic that I want to talk about, that I think really is kind of a, a twisted view of God sometimes. And what I know is this, if we have at our core belief kind of a, an off view of God, it affects everything in our life. It affects everything that we believe, and it affects how we act and how we live, and, and, how we, and how we talk about God, and that affects then how we expand the kingdom. And so I want to, this is a real foundational thing I want to understand, I want you to understand today. And I really can say this, I have one objective and one objective only today. And at first you're going to go, duh, that's easy, but pay attention the whole time. Because I'm going to address it in such a way you're going to go, ah, I don't know about that. But I want you to just let the, Lord, the Word of God speak to you. And so this is my one and only objective today, to convince you from Scripture that no matter who you are, who anybody is, that God loves you. That God's love for you, and here's the real tough word, is unconditional. He loves you unconditionally. In fact, I'll say this, and and this I want you to grasp. 
God will never love you more than He loves you right now. And He will never love you less than He loves you right now. No matter what you're doing right now, you say, well, God's got to love me today because, because I'm in church. But He loves you the same tomorrow no matter where you go. And He would love you the same even if you chose to not come here today and to do something else. Even something that wasn't honoring to Him. His love is unconditional. His love does not change. And you're going to have to pay attention the whole time to see where that's going. His love for you does not change if you accept Him or if you reject Him. He still loves you. His love for you does not change if you live a holy life or you live an unholy life. His love for you doesn't change. And here's why. God loves you for a reason. He loves you for something, for a reason that's unchangeable. He loves you because His nature is love. Not His nature is to love. His nature is love. John, in the, in the book of 1 John, says it totally clearly. We, this, is, this is just the Word of God. It says this in, in, in 1 John 4.16. God is love. God is love. That's When you describe the nature of God, the nature of God is God is love. He loves you, and He loves me, and He loves all people, because it is His nature to love. In fact, get this. He cannot not love you. It's His nature. It would go contrary to His nature to not love you. His love for people does not change. God loves you. Now understand something. Remember, everything's always in balance. There are negative results for people when they do not live according to God's plan for their lives. Now you heard me say that, right? To this whole message, remember that I said that. There are negative results for people when they do not live according to God's plan for their lives. And there are negative eternal results for mankind if they don't come into a right relationship with God through Jesus His Son. So I'm not saying that just, oh, God is love and that makes, you can do whatever you want all the time and everything's perfect and fine. It's not what I'm saying. This is true. There are results if we don't live God's, for God the right way. But that does not negate the love of God toward us. God is love. God loves you. That's what I want you to get breathed into your spirit today. God is love. God loves you. What I want to do to start today is I want you to turn to a very familiar section of Scripture, Psalm 23. I want you to turn to this today because I want you to feel something. I want you to experience something as I read this. And I want, what I, this is what I want you to do. Not just hear the words, I want you to experience the feelings it expresses about God's love for people. This is David, King David, writing about how God sees him, how God acts toward him, and this is how God acts and sees you. And I want you, instead of just looking at the details, I want you to try to feel it. Does that make you understand the difference between that today? I want you to feel what it's communicating. So listen to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. 
He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes God in a particular way here. Trying to express a feeling. He describes God as a shepherd of people. And as you read it, you can feel the loving relationship he's trying to describe. The shepherd blesses and provides for and protects his sheep. The shepherd guides his sheep and walks with them even through dark times. And he provides abundantly for them even in the face of the worst situation, in the face of their enemies, it says. He is good and he is loving to his sheep all the days of their life. It doesn't end halfway through. All the way to the end. And what David is doing is he's painting this word picture here of a God who loves you. And my, my, my hope today is that you can feel the love that he is describing. You see, church, I want you to remember something today. Jesus said that he was the good shepherd. David describes God as a shepherd. Jesus follows on that path and says, I'm the good shepherd. Like a shepherd loves and cares for his sheep, the Lord loves and cares for people. When a sheep strays from the flock and gets tangled up in all kinds of stuff that it shouldn't be involved with, what happens? It says the shepherd leaves the 99 other sheep and searches for the one lost and lonely and straying sheep. His love, listen, this is the point that we mess up. His love for that sheep doesn't diminish when it goes astray. He doesn't turn his back on the sheep. In fact, his love is demonstrated quite possibly even more dramatic, in a more dramatic fashion when his sheep goes astray, because he leaves a 99, it says an open pasture, and goes out of his way to seek out that one sheep that is strayed from the flock. And he searches for the sheep until he finds it. Why? Because he loves his sheep. When we stray, he even in some ways demonstrates in a more dramatic fashion just how much he loves us. Because he leaves the others and goes to the one that's missing. God is love. And God loves you. Now, I would say that really believing that God um, loves us unconditionally is not a common view among Christians and non-Christians. I think people often see God's love as, as conditional. That God loves me when I'm good, but He doesn't love me when I'm bad. And so He faces me when I'm good, and He turns His back to me when I'm bad, until I get right, and then He comes back and He faces me. That's not the God of the Bible. In fact, I think that Hollywood hit the nail on the head a few years ago in capturing what the church world has presented about God when it produced a movie called Evan Almighty with Jim Carrey. Who's ever seen the movie Evan Almighty with Jim Carrey? A bunch of you. Some of you wouldn't watch it because you thought it's sacrilegious. It's not. 
You guys know who Jack Hayford is? One of my, just my mentors and heroes. I got to sit with him. He said something when I was at his house one time. Um, in, in, in the course out there, he got to go to his house. And he's talking about, he lives right out of Hollywood. And I think he said an amazing thing. And I think he's right. He said, God gives gifts to people. He said, even when they don't walk with him, those giftings of the Father are still there. And he talked about, because he lives right by Hollywood, he said that musicians and actors and actresses, he believes oftentimes have the gifting of the Father of a prophetic gifting that are not yet surrendered to God. He goes, that's why they can sing a song and it captivates the whole country. That's why they can do a movie and they captivate something. And, and I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to make this over-spiritual and say Evan Almighty was a great and godly film. It was a comedy and it had dumb stuff in it. But what I am saying is, oftentimes they portray something incredibly significant in the secular world that we really need to pay attention to because a lot of times they're simply reflecting what we've said to them. And in this case, a misunderstanding that the church world has said to them. In the movie, Evan Almighty, with Jim Carrey, it shows what a lot of people believe about God, and I think even people in the church, is basically this. That God is really mad at people, and he's very unfair. And Carrey, remember how Carrey, what he refers to God as? The mighty smiter. Smite me, almighty smiter! He stands there. And he says that to God because he's lost his job, nothing's going right for him, everything's falling apart. He's ticked at God and he says, smite me, almighty smiter. And I want to watch just for a minute a clip from, from Evan Almighty. And I think they get the position of God really good on us. Now it's the best clip I could find because I couldn't show you the whole movie. So let's play this clip from Evan Almighty. just lost his job and his life's falling Fine. apart. The gloves are off, pal! Come on, let me see little rat. Smite me, almighty oh, smiter! You're the one who should be fired! The only one around here not doing his job is you! Answer me! I want you to decide what's right for me. I surrender to your will. Now, Josh just told me I had the name wrong. It's it's Bruce Almighty, not Evan Almighty. But it makes us laugh, right? You know, smite me, almighty smiter. I really think that's the way a lot of people feel about God. As long as you're walking with God, He's good. But when things go bad and you say, why do you believe that? Because I can't tell you how many times in 24 years of being a pastor, people come to me when something goes wrong. Why did God do this? Why is God mad? Why is my kid sick? Why is my marriage having problems? And they say, I'm mad at God. And I want to go, what? You're mad at God. What gives you the right to be mad at God? Now, he's got big shoulders, he can handle it. But that's the view we have because we think that as long as we do good, God loves us. When something goes wrong, obviously the mighty smiter is up in heaven smacking us and doing something wrong. You know, 
I think a lot of people think of God like that. You know, sure, He says He loves me in His Word. But if I don't measure up, if I'm not good enough, if I don't try hard enough, then He smites me. Then the gloves are off and He smites me. He hits you with some big heavenly paddle, some, some, some lightning bolt baseball bat. He brings some kind of difficulty or harm into your life. We say, as long as I'm good, he's nice, but if I'm bad, he smites me. And a lot of times in the church world, we applaud that and we say, well, that's really, that's what God does. Mount of blessing and cursing. I'll explain that in a while. That thinking. You see, I'll be honest with you. That's kind of how I viewed God for a lot of years. Even years after Bible college and seminary and, and pastoring, for a lot of years that was kind of the view that I held of God. Even though I didn't really get that's what I believed, as I evaluated my life, that's really what I believed. And I found this, I wasn't original with that thought. I wasn't original. I wasn't alone also in thinking like this. matter of fact, I thought most of the, found most of the church world felt the same way. And what I found is, actually, I was just a product of a church world and the evangelical church world that I believe often misunderstands the God of the Bible and motivates people by guilt and fear. I really do. I think that's the cause of it. Now, I said earlier, I'm going to walk on some thin ice, and I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm skating out onto the ice right now, what I'm going to say. Okay? Remember, you told me you loved me in advance. How many of you have ever heard, so I'm, going to talk, I'm going to deal with something foundational right now of evangelicalism. You understand evangelicalism? It's, the, it's Christianity saying that we believe in evangelizing the world. So it's groups like the Assemblies of God and the, you know, the Four Square and the Evangelical Free and the Missionary Alliance. You know, churches that are the ones that are, are, are devoted to reaching the world for Christ. You know, One of the fathers of evangelicalism in America was a guy named Jonathan Edwards. Anybody ever hear Jonathan Edwards? Okay. really known as one of the great theologians in American history, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that. I wouldn't say that's not true. A colonial American theologian. And he was famous for preaching a sermon in, in 1741. Matter of fact, you've got to preach a pretty significant sermon when, when in 2013 people are still talking about the sermon you preached in 1741. Right? I don't know if in that many years anybody's going to even remember who Mark Larson was let alone be saying this was the title of a sermon that he preached. Many people believe, and I think history is probably right, that the sermon that he preached was one of the sparks that sparked something called the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening was a great move of God in American history. Matter of fact, a lot of the institutions that we have that are religious, a lot of the churches that were birthed, a lot of the colleges that were founded, had a tie to the Great Awakening. And we pray this all the time, God, give us another Great Awakening. Right? We need a, a turning, a mass turning back to God. So I would never take that away from Jonathan Edwards. Because this is, this is a large spiritual movement in this nation that was a great blessing, and he was a vital part of it. But does anybody remember the name, the title of the sermon that he preached in 1741, this famous sermon? Anybody remember what it is? What is it? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. You think I preach long? 35 pages. Sinners in the hands of an... I can go... It's such a famous sermon. You can simply type in... If you type in sinners in the... About that far, your Google will go to sinners in the hands of an angry God. So many searches for it. Such a famous thing. Here's the interesting thing. I'd never read the sermon. 
um, I, kind of surprising. It dawned on me in, in a while back, in pre- preparing for this message, actually, that I had never read the sermon. So I printed it and I, and I read it. Now you say, why are you bringing up sinners in the hands of an angry God with a guy from 1741? And talk about evangelicalism, which we are. Here's why I bring it up. That title has been quoted by pastors and teachers and Christians probably hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of times. Honestly, not an exaggeration. You could say, sinners in the hands of an angry God, a whole bunch of you. Millions of times maybe. And I believe it encapsulates an absolutely wrong view of God. But one that is widely held. I absolutely believe it. It, it does. I've quoted the title, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, dozens of times in my life, preaching sermons. Talking about we need a great awakening. Now, I'm not denying that. We need a great awakening. But it teaches something that I believe is absolutely false. And I was going to take time to read quotes from the scripture, the sermon. I couldn't even read the thing. I, was get, I wanted to go back and dig the guy up <laughs> and punch him. <laughs> From reading. Now he's known as one of the great theologians, but some of, one part, this angry God part, is absolutely not, doesn't line up with the Bible. Because it teaches that God is angry. And most importantly, it says this, it teaches that God is angry with sinners. Now here's my problem with that. That's contrary to the nature of God. God is love. And God loves you, right? God is love. God is not in His nature angry. God is love. So what about His love? So God sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. God is love for God so loved the world that He pursued lost people with the ultimate pursuit, the death of His own Son on the cross. That's love. God is love. And God pursues sinners like a shepherd pursues the one lost sheep who leaves the night. He leaves the 99 and He goes to the one. God is love. And sinners in the hand of angry God is the type of thinking that has caused Hollywood and your neighbor, and probably you, to think of God as the mighty smiter whenever anything goes wrong in your life. You attribute it to God. To think He's mad at you. Every time you mess up. Friends, I want you to write, I want you to burn it in your spirit this morning. God is not the mighty smiter. God is not mad at you. God is not mad at sinners. In fact, we preached the message a couple weeks ago in this series that Jesus is the friend of sinners. We spent a whole, a whole Sunday talking about that Jesus is a friend of sinners and laying the theological foundational basis for that. Friends, listen to what God says in His Word about this topic. In 1 John 4.10, He says this, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation is the sacrifice that satisfies. So He satisfies His right, His right of judgment. So, in this is love. Not that we loved God. We want to say, if I love God, God loves me. That's not what He says. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son, His response to love, to be the propitiation for our sins. He dealt with our sin problem while we were yet sinners because He loved us. And Romans 5.8 says it like this. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And why did He do it? It says right there, to demonstrate His love. That He's not the mighty smiter. That's not an angry God. 
That's a God of love. A God of unconditional, unchanging love. Now, I can hear... Some of you have smoke coming out of your ears right now. Because I can hear your gears turning and you're saying, but, 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 what about this? Let's deal with what about this. Let's understand something. God does get angry. Go like this, go, oh, okay. God does get angry. I'm not saying God does not get angry. I'm saying God is not by nature angry. The Bible is full of examples of God being angry with people when they go astray, and, but primarily, this is why they get ang- why God gets angry. In almost every situation, it's because they are self-righteous. You understand what self-righteous? Sometimes we throw that word out. You understand what it's saying? Meaning, I am righteous in and of myself. That I don't need God. And he's trying to say, yes, you do need me. All the Old Testament was to Britain, was, was lived out to prove that. That, yeah, you can try all these laws, you can't do it. It's impossible. He does get angry when we're self-righteous. When people depend on their own righteousness and religious efforts instead of looking and accepting the grace of God. That's why Jesus would often get mad at the Pharisees. Because they were self-righteous. They didn't think they needed God's grace because they said, we keep the law. We keep the rules. But here's what I need you to understand this morning. God does get angry, but He is not angry. See the difference? God does get angry, but He is not angry. It's not His nature to be angry. And His anger, listen to me, has a redemptive purpose. It's based on love. He's not the mighty smiter. The mighty smiter would be based on vengeance. His anger is always flows from a heart of love. And here is the key. Write it down somewhere. So that the next time things go bad and you're tempted to say, I'm mad at God. Write this down. Understand. God is not punitive. God is lovingly corrective. There's a huge difference. He's not punitive. He is lovingly corrective. And I hope you understand the difference. I'll explain it. Punitive is about inflicting punishment. Somebody does something wrong, so they are punished. They pay for their crime. They get smited. They did this wrong, so they get smited. The Old Testament says it like this, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus says that's not the way we operate anymore. That's what Jesus said. That's, that's punitive. It is, someone does something wrong, and so they are punished for what they do wrong, but that's not how God operates. He is lovingly corrective. He disciplines us, He corrects us for a reason. So that we repent. That's why He corrects us. He brings discipline into people's lives to get them to change from going in the wrong direction to get them to go into the right direction. That's how, his, that's how He operates. He's lovingly corrective in our life. God's motives are always based in love to get people to come to Him or to return to Him if they have strayed for a reason so that He can care for them like a shepherd cares for his sheep. It all flows from His heart of love. So sinners are never in the hands of an angry God. They are in the hands of a loving God who wants the best for them and will discipline them to get them to move towards what is best for them, which is move towards Him, and it's all based on His love for people. 
Now I want to give you an example from Scripture to show this works. And I on purpose chose an example from the Old Testament. Because some of you are going to later pull out Old Testament verses and say, well, it says this. And I'm saying, oftentimes we get the wrong view because we don't understand the transition between the old and the new. At communion we said, he's giving us a new covenant in his blood. It's the old has passed away, the new is fulfilled. And so I'm going to give you to show the nature of God hasn't changed, that even in the Old Testament, God is the God that I'm talking about this morning. Okay? That fair? So are you familiar with the story of Jonah? Some of you are, some of you aren't. Some of you are new to Christ, and, and it's about the story of Jonah. Jonah and the whale. You probably have seen the veggie tales about it, right? Get swallowed up by a big fish. Um, begin to turn there in the book of Jonah. It'll take you a while, some of you. It's all right. It's near the end of the Old Testament, just before the beginning of the New Testament. It's in the Minor Prophets. And turn there as I, as I talk about it for a little while first. In this short book of Jonah, as you're, as you're looking for it, um, let me briefly give you the story of the book. In this short book, in this short book Jonah is told by God. Jonah is a, a, a godly man, obviously. He knows the Lord. He's told by God to go to the people of Nineveh and tell them that God is angry with them. God's angry with them because they're wicked and immoral people and that God's going to destroy them. Matter of fact, the eventual message that he had for them is just walk through town and say, in 40 days, God's going God's to smoke you. Basically his message. God told him to do that, but Jonah didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that because he's a card-carrying evangelical. And God's mad at ungodly people. He's holding signs out at the rally. God hates you, and you fill in the blank because of this. That's what the evangelical, the ultra-right end of the evangelical wing does. Hold up signs. God hates you. I've seen the signs. God hates this. That's, that's who Jonah was. Jonah saying, I'm not going to those ungodly, wicked people because they deserve to be destroyed because they're ungodly and they're wicked. And he says, I won't do it. So what's Jonah do, remember? Jonah does not want to do it. So he flees to Tarshish. Tarshish? <laughs> and he gets on a ship and he sails away from God's calling. Friends, it is never a good idea to sail away from what God is telling you to do. But Jonah does. Gets on a ship, sails away. Remember what happens next? God, it says, it says this, God causes a great storm to arise. And the boat's going to sink. And, they be, and the sailors on the boat are throwing everything out of the boat because it's going to sink, trying to lighten their load. And, and they're all praying to their gods, false gods. And finally they say to Jonah, are you praying to your God? And he goes, well, let me tell you, friends, uh, I serve the God. Essentially, he said, I serve the God who created the sea and the earth. So I created, that's the God I serve. And... Uh, God told me to do something. I'm running away from him. And the reason the storm came up is because um, God's displeased with the direction I'm going. And they're like, what? You know, you turkey. Why'd you come on our ship? Go on somebody else's ship. And he says, well, I have no solution. Throw me into the sea. And they're like, we're not going to do that. So they tried to lighten the load. And finally they realized they're going to sink. And they listen to Jonah and they toss him into the sea. And so when they throw him into the sea, what happened to the sea? It became calm. God really did cause the, 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 the storm. But God didn't cause the storm to destroy Jonah because he rejected Jonah. What had God prepared in advance for Jonah? A great fish, it says. A whale, Jonah and the whale. A great fish. And I don't know how it happened, and some people want to say it's not true, but I absolutely believe it's true. God sent the great big fish, and the great big fish swallowed Jonah, and for three days, Jonah's inside of that fish. And he's alive, and he's praying, Says, it records his prayer. One of the great prayers in the Bible is that, is that prayer of Jonah. Read it sometime. We won't read it today. But he, but he reads that. He prays to God. Chapter 2, he's praying to God. 
And, and the, the fish comes then, and what's it do? Um, it spits him out on the shore three days later. Well, after three days in the belly of the fish, Jonah says, just maybe it's a bad idea to not listen to God. And so he goes where he's supposed to go. Friends, it's always better to listen to God the first time. He goes to Nineveh with, with zero compassion. And he tells the people that God is mad with them and he's going to destroy them in 40 days. He just walks through town. Well, the people hear the message. They know it's from God. And it says they repent. They respond to what Jonah was saying to them because they knew it was a message from God. And it says that they put on sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth is like burlap. They put that on to show their sign of, of remorse, to be uncomfortable on purpose. And they begin to fast. And the king says, no food, no water, not even for the animals. They begin to fast and they begin to pray. They cry out to God for mercy and grace. Crying out to God to not be destroyed. And what happens? It says, and God relents. God doesn't judge them. He does not destroy them. Why? Because they repented. They turned to Him for help. They were humble. That's why God's greatest thing He loves about people is humility. The thing He despises the most about people is is self-righteous pride. Because self-righteous pride says, I'm my own God. In humility, they said, we need God. Friends, here's the point. His anger was not punitive. They deserve to be... in, in a lot of thinking that we have, oh God, my, you mighty smiter, you're, you're wicked, you're serving false gods, you're horrible. God, here's a sign, destroy the Ninevites. They're horrible, they're ungodly, they're sinners. Kill them, they deserve it. And God says no. He gives them a message out of love that says, turn back, turn to me. They turn to him, and in his anger, he relents. His anger was not punitive, it was corrective. But then what happens? Jonah, the great righteous evangelical, gets mad at God. Why? Because God spared them. God rescues them and he gets mad. The very last words of the book of Jonah, God says, what's wrong with you, Jonah? Shouldn't I care about 120,000 people, even their animals? Shouldn't I care about them? He says, I should care about them. But Jonah gets mad because God spared them. And he wanted God to destroy those wicked sinners that great man of compassion, and I think he did have a sign walking around. God is going to judge you. God's going to knock your towers down in New York by ungodly people because you're sinners. That's what it said under signs. That was the original language, maybe. I don't know. I'm making a joke. Okay? There was some, it was that mentality that God's, God is destroying you because of wicked people. It sounds like a lot of churches. But church, I want you to grasp what Jonah knew about the nature of God. You need to write this verse we're going to look at next, chapter 4, verse 2. You need to write it down, you need to underline it. Because it talks about the nature of God. It will help untwist a wrong view of God. Look at Jonah, chapter 4, verse 2. It's going to do some untwisting. It's going to be uncomfortable because it's going to untwist some of this stuff in your mind. Old Testament, prophet, going to ungodly, wicked people. The evangelical of the day. And he prays. The placard-carrying evangelical. God hates people who are unrighteous. God has just rescued the people. And Jonah's mad and he's talking to God. Verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? 
Meaning, if I go to them, you're going to rescue them, and I don't want you to rescue them because they deserve to be punished. That's what he's saying right there, because that's what he said earlier. Therefore, in order to forestall this, this rescuing of the people, I fled to Tarshish. And here's the point. Underline this. If it's not underlined, highlight it. If it's not highlighted. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. That's the God of the Old Testament. That's the God of the New Testament. That's the God of the Bible. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah knew the nature of God. He knew that he was gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. And friends, I just want to tell you something. That does not sound like an angry God to me. That sounds like a loving God to me. Sinners in the hands of a loving God. Jonah, the story in the book of Jonah, is the story of sinners in the hands of a loving God. And church, we wrap up this morning. Understand, God is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. And I want you to be convinced today that God's nature is love and God loves you unconditionally. And He loves your neighbor unconditionally. He loves them. Are there consequences for wrong actions? Yes. Are there consequences for not coming to a relationship with God? Yes. Does that negate the love of God? No. He sends us like He sent Jonah. And what we do so often is we act like Jonah and say, I'm not going to go to that rotten person, God, because obviously they're immoral and you wouldn't love them. And God's saying, yeah, I love them so much, I'm sending it to them. God's not telling us to make the signs. Our own pride tells us to make the signs or to be resistant to go to somebody. God's nature is love, and God loves you unconditionally, and God loves your neighbor unconditionally, and that's why God is calling us as Portview to be people who care. We reflect the love of God to a world that can't believe that God could possibly love them. And I want to do something. I want to end today by leaving you with a quote that I was given on a prayer retreat, and it messed with me for years. It messed with me. I was, because I didn't, I'm like, I, I just can't believe it because I'm Jonathan Edwards. And it's this from a guy named Anthony DeMello. And it says this, Behold God, beholding you, and smiling. And it was a quote that came at a really important, important time because I've been wrestling with this concept for years. And it made me for three days deal with this stupid quote that I'm like, if I close my eyes and I behold God in my imagination, beholding me, I'm looking at God, looking at me, is He smiling? And I could say, well, some days He's smiling, but other days He's frowning. And what God wants us to get today is that He's smiling at us. He loves His love is unconditional. 
His anger comes up when we do things wrong, but his anger is based on love in order to, to, to not punitively, correct, punitively discipline us, but to lovingly correct us, to get us where he wants us to go, which is right in his palm of his hand, so that we live in the blessing of God, walking in the fullness of the kingdom. That's how he feels towards every lost person, no matter what gross immorality they're involved in, like the Ninevites were. Behold God, beholding you, and smiling. Why don't you do something with me right now? Close your eyes with me as we finish our time. Can you imagine this in your mind's eye right now? Kind of look up into heaven with your eyes closed. I'm not saying we really see God, but just imagine for a moment. Because He's real. He's here. Behold God this morning. And understand that He is looking at you this morning. The Bible says He is. He says that He's more concerned about you than a sparrow that dies. He's, he even knows the numbers of hairs on your head. He's that concerned for you. He is beholding you right now. What's the look on His face? Is He smiling? Or is He frowning? Is He smiling because you think He's smiling because you're sitting in church? But tomorrow or next Sunday you're going to do something else and he's going to be frowning at you? That his love changes? Or that maybe he's not even going to look at you? He's going to turn his back toward you because he's angry. The God of the Bible is the God of Jonah. Gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness the one who relents concerning calamity God loves you and he's smiling at you right now and some of you this morning as our eyes are closed is thinking about this allowing the spirit to minister to us you need to just receive this truth and rest in this truth And you need to stop striving with God. He's done the work. Yeah, He's going to call you to do things that are impossible. He's going to stretch you. He's going to send you to places and He's going to challenge you and it's going to cost you everything. But it's all going to be because of love because He loves you so much He wants the best for you. He's going to tear the things of the world away from you so they can give you the most important thing which is life filled with His presence and empowered by His Spirit because He loves you. He wants the best for you. He's smiling at you. It's not in running but in resting. Doesn't mean there's not hard work. But it means the hard work is only initiated by Him. It's not done to try to earn His love or favor. It's in response to His direction. So some of you need to just rest in this truth today. But some of you as you're looking up into your mind's eye toward heaven today, you recognize that you're that sheep that's strayed from the flock. Maybe you were in the flock before and you strayed away or maybe you've never even been there really in your life. You've kind of kept God at arm's length your whole life. You're a Ninevite. 
God's calling to you right now. He's saying, turn to me so I can relent and I can welcome you with love and grace. I'll just challenge you today, if that's you today, right now in your heart, welcome Jesus in. Ask Him to come into your life. Surrender your life to Him. And do what He asked the Ninevites to do. Repent. Repent means to change direction. Go from you being self-righteous and in charge and prideful to humility that says, I bow my knee to you, God, because I really need you and I can't do it on my own, even through all my religious effort. I'm tired. And I just ask you to come. When you do, He's smiling at you right now. We're going to end our service just by allowing, asking Suzanne just to, to play and sing for a few minutes. I invite you just to sit in your chairs or come to the altar or the front and pray. And just allow this image, behold God beholding you and smiling, to permeate your soul this morning. For some of you it's an affirmation of His love. For some of you it's a, a welcoming for the first time. God bless you church when you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit. Go and have a wonderful day with God. You can quietly make your way out of the sanctuary when you're done, but let's just make this place a place of of just interacting with our loving God. When you feel dismissed, God bless you. Have a wonderful day.